Yeah. You create. Oh, welcome. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Real Horror Show. I'm your host, Samantha, and I'm joined, as always, by the Stormy Skies. Hello. Um, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. I already did that on Twitter, but who follows us on Twitter? A lot more people than actually listen to this podcast, actually. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I fucked up. We use uh, Craig, the recording bot for Discord, and you have exactly seven days from the moment you start recording to download. And I fucked up a thought I had until midnight, and the recording for Rattlesnake was gone. <laughs> So we're going to briefly review Rattlesnake and then get into the Nightingale. <laughs> nice. Rattlesnake was good. I liked it. Me too. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> it wasn't a perfect movie, but it was fun. It was short. It got me a few times with the spooks. Yeah. The lead actress was fantastic. I agree. Everything was really, really cool. And um, I really enjoyed it, especially um, I think it, did exceptionally well for a movie with that amount of time it used. It was about 90 minutes and it used every minute properly and it didn't go too short or too long. So very well done. Yeah. And it's about a mother who's doing anything to save her child. And you know what other movie is about a mother doing something for a child? It wouldn't be the Nightingale, would it? Yeah. So you could say me forgetting to download the audio files was a happy accident because these movies share common themes in a way. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> The Nightingale is a 2018 Australian period thriller film written, co-produced by Dur written, co-produced and directed by Jennifer Kent. Nice. Set in 1825, the British penal colony of Van Diemen's Land, now the Australian state of Tasmania, the film follows a young woman convict seeking revenge for a terrible act of violence committed against her family. It stars Aisling Francosi, Sam Claffin, Bacali Ganembar, and Damon Harriman, and is mostly in English with some Irish in Palawa Kani. The film released on August 2nd, 2019 by IFC Films in the United States and on August 29th by Transmission Films in Australia. So let's get into this thick, chunky boy. Yeah, it is a big girl. chonky boy. It's it's like two hours and twenty minutes long. How did you feel about that? I kept going back and forth. I I agree one hundred percent because I watched it and I really enjoyed it, but also I did notice that it was long at times. Yeah. Wow. There were definitely parts of the movie where I felt like it was just flying by, didn't feel like two hours at all. And then there were some scenes that just felt like they dragged on a bit too long. I absolutely agree. I think it was like 50, 50 with that deal. Um, you know, but still was great. Um, but I did notice that for sure. All right. So, this movie was intense, so I'm trying to figure out the best, like, segues to get into each category. Yes, uh, this was a very intense movie. Like, just be aware uh, before you watch it. There are a couple trigger warnings. Yeah, for hashtag sure. trigger warning uh, for rape. 
violence, a lot of racism because I didn't, I, I didn't, I try not to do a whole lot of research before actually watching the movie we review was not expecting so much racism. I probably could have gathered that considering um, colonialism in Australia, especially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause I, I for a while, I didn't really know where the fuck they were <laughs> until like halfway through. Tans Tasmania is like a small island offset Australia. I Googled oh. it. Oh, did you? Okay, excellent, excellent. Yeah, I figured they were in Australia after, like, I don't know what set it off. I think it's when he said there was, like, um, little, like, uh, I think he said there was, like, little wallabies hopping around. And I was like, they must be in Australia. And then I was like, well, I'm pretty sure Jennifer Kent is Australian because the Babadook was set in Australia, too. And then I was like, oh, shit, okay, I got you. Made sense after that. And um, that one scene where he brought a dead wallaby, I was like, oh, no, not the wallaby. But then I remembered I wallabies and kangaroos in Australia are, are like deer in America. So. Like deer and pheasants and stuff. <laughs> so for Americans, we like, we love kangaroos, but I think they're actually kind of a nuisance in Australia. Other the same people. Way. Yeah. Do you think but, other people like deer? No, probably if they don't have to like go out to their garden one morning excited to pick some peppers and tomatoes and see that the fucking deer have crashed through your fence and have <laughs> eaten everything you've worked so hard for, the fucking bastards. Crash. I love that you say crash through the fence because the deer was probably like running uncontrollably and couldn't slow down. Fucking crash through the fence. <laughs> they, awesome. We... At my at my family's house, we have a nice garden. We try to grow stuff in, and we have to have like really tall chicken wire surrounding it because the deer will just like push it down to get into it and <laughs> eat all awesome. our plants. Eat all the they're plants. Graceful, they're graceful little monsters. I know you're a vegetarian, but they're monsters, <laughs> and they're overpopulated. And I don't know. I don't really care for venison, but. But I, I know they're overpopulated stuff, and they're kind of like pet hunting is is control of that population. So I'm all for I'm a vegetarian, but I'm also all for like having like uh no no problems with like animal uh like population being out of control. Cool, excellent. Let's see. All right, so I guess uh let's break it. Let's get into acting. Uh. Sam Calfin, I thought was fucking amazing in this. Amazing. I saw uh, him, I was like, oh, it's the it's the pretty boy from Hunger Games and also some romantic comedies I enjoy. Wonder how this is gonna go. But holy hell, he was compelling. Um, which which guy is that? He the was bad guy. The yeah, he was the bad guy. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I've seen that guy before, and he was very compelling. And you know what? Excellent antagonist. I fucking despised him after a while, and it's it takes a good actor to be able to do that. So, uh, like, there were times where I actually kind of liked him. Like, he seemed like an okay dude, but then you remember how despicable he actually is. Like the scenes, yes. the scenes before spoiler alert, he shoots the kid that's with them. 
the way he talks to him, it's like, oh yeah, he's very charming. I can see why he gets away with a lot of shit other than the fact it's 1825. Yeah. But he, it's an essay I've been wanting to write for Real Horror Show for a long time. The whole idea of the charming psychopath, he fits yeah. into that category so well. Oh yeah, sure does. Because like he'll do those charming things and then he'll turn around and like fucking shoot the kid. And then he'll say something like, I just couldn't fucking stand the, the sound of it. And I was like, what a freak. You know, like who says that shit? Only crazy people do. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be real for a second. Can relate. Can relate <laughs> to a, a screaming child. Not, not standing the sound of a screaming child. Not sure if I would shoot it directly in the chest, but I would definitely <laughs> give it a dirty look. Yeah, dirty look and getting killed is definitely two different things, Sam. <laughs> Unless your looks uh, can kill Sam. I mean, sometimes they can, I think. I like to think so. Uh, let's see. Aisling Frenkosi. I'm probably mispronouncing her name. She was the lead character in this movie didn't know much about her at all before this movie this is the first thing to my knowledge i have seen her in uh let's see she has also been in the bbc2 crime drama the fall uh joined the cast of oh shit is that who she is she, she uh she is um in Game of Thrones season six and season seven, she played Lyanna Stark. Oh. Seems like 500 Stark. years ago. Yeah, I was going to say, she, she uh, like just like, the, the, we didn't even see her. Barely. Right? She was in a lot of those flashback scenes in season six and season seven that were leading up to the big reveal of spoiler, spoiler alert. Jon Snow is the bastard child of Lyanna Stark and uh, Rhaegar Targaryen. Which makes him the true heir of the Iron Throne, but the writers don't know how to follow through with fucking stories, so they just like shit on everything, and they were like, well, people really like Maisie Williams, so let's make this the Maisie Williams show, even though the fucking Night King plot was Jon Snow's story arc. You can't just give that kill to Arya, Arya because it's cool. I think the Night King like definitely died like way too fast. I feel like that buildup was humongous and then he just died pretty quickly and easily. And I think he he should have been way too powerful to be able to just like be foiled like that by a child because she didn't even do any fancy tricks. So that's what I think. I'm pissed. I, fucking, I thought so the Night King was hell. They did so many characters dirty in the oh. last two seasons. Anyway, let's not get into that because it'll just upset the both of us and take us to yeah. two hours. <laughs> if you if if you want to know how we really felt about the end of Game of Thrones, go listen to our mini show about oh, which episode Game of Thrones. Like, I can't fucking remember. It was uh, I know the title is more like Game of Snores. Uh, okay, excellent. So you could just find it easily by the title. Good, cool. Game of fucking snore. I'm surprised we took only thirty minutes to discuss that shit. I'm sure we could have gone longer. I think we did go on longer. 25. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes our mini shows are not very mini. Get a little out of control, but that's okay because what needs to be said gets said. 
which is good. Yeah, it is real mini show episode 10, rewriting Game of Thrones. Oh, I mean, if that title doesn't give away how we feel, excuse me, I don't know what will. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, fun fact, uh, Aisling was born four days after me, so I am older than her. Oh, holy shit, that means she's like a child. How old are you again? I'm 26 years old. I'm not a child. So I guess she's 26 now. It's just that you're younger than me, and everyone younger than me is a child. A little child, a little baby. Just I born. Have who are than you. Dude, I have students that are older than me and it freaks me out. Because I hey, feel one like. One of the reasons I've. One of the reasons I've put off applying to be an adjunct in my area is I'm terrified that I will teach someone I went to high school with and I won't be okay with it. Oh, dude, I totally feel that. Oh my gosh. That's why I'm glad that I'm working at a place that's like far away from where I grew up. So, like, I don't know anybody and they don't know me. So, it's like a, f- a clean slate. Yeah. I can be whoever I want to be. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know what you thought of Bacali, who played Jimmy slash boy. Done. I thought, I thought it was Billy. Billy. Thank you. Billy. <laughs> okay. Where did I get Jimmy? Because it's like, like Billy with J. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I think that he was fantastic, and um, I just felt his pain, you know, like throughout. And uh, he was very expressive, uh, even vaguely. So I think that him, and I, I think that him and the main protagonist girl had excellent on-screen chemistry. Although they weren't even like they really were strangers, it it just worked well. Yeah, I I liked Billy more than Claire a lot of the time. There, I'm sorry. I know Claire went yeah. through a traumatic event, but there were times where <laughs> she was just really insufferable and I think that's just looking at it through a modern lens and seeing how she was treating Billy when they first met yeah oh my god (laughs) right Billy did so much for her though it wasn't until the very end that she was like actually grateful towards him because he as soon as she beat that one guy's face in, the guy who killed her baby. Yeah. Billy could have just walked Billy could have walked away and kept his hands clean, but he didn't, and I respect him for that. Yeah, me too. Um and uh, you know, it takes someone you know, who uh, is very mature and wise to find purpose in like a stranger and then like devote their, their life knowing that like they might get killed by these people who are their natural enemies uh, and stuff, but like still going through with it because of his, you know, ancestral ties and stuff like that. So it, you know, his, his ancestral like value was like to be a good person if he could. So that's 
the way that he could do that is to to kill those guys. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I guess segueing into story, the movie follows a Irish con- Irish convict because this is set in the time when Australia was primarily a convict camp for the British. So she's an Irish convict. She's married happily so with a cute little baby girl, right? It was a girl, right? It doesn't really matter. Um, And she's trying to get her letter to return back to Ireland where she's from. But uh, Hawkins, played by Sam Calfin's kind of a dick and won't let her go because uh, more control plus I think he's smitten with her and likes having her around for his pleasure. And they like having her around because she's like actually a fantastic singer with perfect pitch. So... Uh, some rambunctiousness happens and it leads to her husband getting shot and her getting raped in front of him or no, not in that order for first. Yeah. First she, she was raped. She in front was, of him. <laughs> yeah. First she was raped in front of him and then he was shot and the baby's crying like babies do. And then the guy very rationally throws it against the wall to get it to stop, but that kills it. So she's mad. Yeah, she's and, that's mad. She, and then yeah. When she teams up with Billy to go hunt down the men that killed her family. She teams up with Billy because out there in the the wilderness, uh they people need the Aboriginal guides because they know their way around without maps. And so um the white people kind of like hire them to guide them around so they don't get lost. Yeah, so they're kind of actually dependent on them completely because they uh, don't want to read a map. They don't know where they're going. They're completely dependent on them. Exactly. Um, so that's that's the basic premise of the story. Premise of the story. Um, <laughs> that it was cool. Yeah, it was uh, very different from what I usually watch in terms of horror. And, you know, a lot of people describe Midsommar as cathartic. And I agree with people who don't view it that way. I know you haven't seen it yet, so I won't go into too much detail as to why. I know what happens. The- I, I know what happens. <laughs> Stop spoiling yourself. Sorry, I just found, I just like wanted to, to know. Anyway, yeah. anyway, the the main girl in that movie goes from one codependent relationship to another. But are you could argue that one codependent relationship isn't healthy for her, whereas the other one it's more healthy, healthier. I yeah, I don't know. This movie, however, <laughs> I felt had a very cathartic ending. Yeah, the ending was good, but you know what? I'm still like is I guess it's left up to interpretation as to what happens to the two of them. Yeah, um, I would. I don't yeah. think by any means I would call this a happy ending cuz he's he's a black man, an aborigine who just 
murdered a white man, a British bunch. commander. Two. A bunch. It was two men. A bunch. <laughs> so he's pretty much, if they get caught, he's pretty much fucked. And then she's fucked too, because she also killed some people. Yeah, and she's like a convict still. So, like, yeah, she, she's already yeah. a convict. So, yeah. So, shit. I don't think there's really any way they could even get off the island. And yeah, yeah guess we're just gonna have to figure out how this movie ends based on our own personal feelings. Yeah. But I think we should have a little aside and discuss the real um, hero in the movie who is the most under, probably the most underappreciated character, which would be Becky the Horse. I loved Becky the Horse. (laughs) Becky the Horse, thank God, never got sick and never got killed by anybody. Christ, I thought that was coming like the entire time I was watching. I was like, fuck, Becky's got to be shot or stolen or drowned. I don't know. But no, she was fine. The whole movie, she was fine. Yes. And Billy didn't even want like Becky to come with them. But then by the end of the movie, he was. That was the one thing he cared about. Yeah, Becky the horse, and then Becky the horse took them all the way to the beach. Uh, Becky the horse was one of the best characters in the movie. Real trooper. (laughs) Real trooper. Next. Not indeed. I wanted IMDb. Not indeed. Very All right, I, I'm also job hunting, so when I start typing something with an I, I mean, uh, I got you. Because um, I want to go to the trivia, because there was a lot of um, press when this came out about how intense filming was for the actors and how they had to have therapists on set. Uh, extensive research was done by writer-director Jennifer Kent on the history of convicts in Australia and the history of the Tasmanian Aboriginal people. The filmmakers, also, the filmmakers and cast also researched PST, PTSD, violence against women, and how to deal with trauma. Uh, clinical psychologists had to be brought on set in order to help actors deal with filming the more brutal traumatic scenes. Um, Writer-director Jennifer Kent was determined that the violence in the film would be an honest and authentic depiction in order to respect those who suffered and died during this period in colonial Australia. She wouldn't shy away from the truth about what happened. Many Australians know what happened in certain parts of the country during that time, and other people don't. A lot of people outside Australia know nothing or very little about it. I couldn't go into this part of our history and water it down. She added like many other countries that have been colonized, the indigenous people of Australia were subject to horrendous treatment by the colonizers. The systems of power were brutal and I wanted the Nightingale to reflect this. That's what Jennifer Kent said. And I think she did a great job because this for Americans, this isn't a part of history. We know a lot about, so it was, not fun, but it was very informative to get that look. And I think she did a really good job at making it seem as realistic as possible. 
Definitely agree. I think she did an excellent job, especially if that is what she was trying to convey. And yeah, this is extremely enlightening for someone who's an American and isn't really too certain about, you know, how things went down regarding, um, you know, colonization there in Australia, because that's really like not touched upon um, uh, a lot when you're having like, you know, general history classes in school. Um, and so this movie does extremely well to kind of like illustrate that for people, but also like in a movie form. So like you're learning, but also like you're having fun. But also, like, it's it's also illustrating, like, the shit that happened, like, the bad things that happened to people, like, you know, women and people of color. Because I took a world history course or two in college, and the most we learned about the Australian colonization is that it was a island filled with convicts. That's what the British started doing with their criminals, was sending it there sending them there to colonize the country for them. Oh, <laughs> that's wild. You don't really go into a lot of detail about how their indigenous people were treated. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't think that uh, women convicts would be sent there as well. Nice bit of equality there. I mean, yeah, if you're a criminal, you're a criminal. Maybe that's how they looked at it, so, but I, I can't say. So how did you, how did you feel about this movie as a follow-up to the Babadook? Um, you know what? I thought it was really great um, because actually, well, for one, I wouldn't say that this is much um, in the same vein of horror that The Babadook was, but I would say this is a horrifying film because of the events that happen. And there also are some like thriller aspects and things like that, such as her dreams and just like gory effects and things like that. Also, I don't know if you noticed that um, she used one similar like cinematography effect um, that she used in The Babadook. And it was when uh, um, Claire was dream is dreaming and she's dreaming about her husband and he's saying, uh, we're all all right. And uh, in this, on the screen, he's there and he's kind of like, I think he's downlit. So his face is completely in shadows. And the same thing, she did the same thing in the Babadook whenever the mom in the Babadook was dreaming about her husband before he died. And he, he was saying like, uh, it's like it's wet or like it's raining or something like that but he was also downlit exactly the same standing exactly the same looked exactly the same so it was really a cool um like nod to her uh cinematic style and the way she likes to film things i agree and um squires the man the myth the legend the editor-in-chief over at bloody disgusting tweeted something about how Scary isn't necessarily the best way to assess horror movies. And I agree. And maybe people misinterpreted my tweet about non-scary horror movies. I would describe this as a non-scary horror movie. Parts of it are horrifying, but there's there wasn't really any moment where you go, ah, which is what I thought <laughs> <was> scary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. I think... European horror movies have really mastered this concept where horror is built around 
atmosphere and the general feeling you get from the piece as a whole, not these individual jump scare moments or necessarily gore. I think Raw is a great example of that. And this movie now is a great example of that. Absolutely. I think I've touched upon like how horror represents the general feeling of society at the time it's being produced. And a lot of horror movies coming out since 2016, even earlier, kind of try to encapsulate this feeling of dread rather than terror. And I kind of like that. It's a very different emotion. And maybe that's why I've been feeling down because I started hitting my like, oh, it's daylight saving. Seasonal depression is starting to kick in. I watched this movie when those feelings were starting to come in. And maybe that's why I'm feeling so down lately. Probably a combination of all of those things, Sam. (laughs) I kind of wish I knew this movie was coming to Hulu. It's streaming on Hulu for Americans, by the way. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere outside of the U.S. Because I know Hulu is pretty much U.S. only. Sorry. Oops. Um, (laughs) But... Because I would have preferred watching this and then Rattlesnake because I kind of similar themes where even though Claire's baby is actually killed, she's still a mother seeking revenge for her dead baby. Whereas um, Brie, I think it was in Rattlesnake, she's doing what she has to do to save her child. And it's just a little, it's a little more uplifting than the Nightingale. So maybe maybe we should have watched these in a different order. Yeah, rattlesnake. Uh oh, it's just gonna be the snake. God damn it, it is. Wait, nope, it's the movie. Uh, don't know what her name is. Sure, it's Brie. Brianna. It might be. Anyway, the lady from Rattlesnake for sure. Yes. I think I feel like I wanted to like make a comment about something in the movie, but I like forget what it was. You mean the whole concept of this podcast where we watch a movie and make comments on it? I think my comment was because I want to get your opinion on it. Um, was uh, whenever I was watching this, like I honestly like wasn't sure how like. Claire and Billy were going to like make it out of these situations simply Mm -hmm. because like they were outnumbered every time with dudes with guns and they could like simply just kill people like and there would be no consequences and two they're stuck on an island so like if he's like someone of authority like how can she like get get him and so I was like surprised to see that like he was able to go and like kill him in the in the uh their like little dorm rooms or whatever, because I honestly thought that after um, he saw her in the street, he was going to like have her arrested, but like he didn't. So I guess like that was his mistake too. I agree. And in some regards, I thought that was a little unrealistic that Claire and Billy kept whirling away out of these situations that probably in real life may have gotten them killed. But I guess that's, you're supposed to kind of suspend your disbelief for that kind of stuff. Cause you, you should be rooting for Claire and Billy. This is their movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
And I liked Claire's character progression throughout the movie. You know, she starts this journey angry, but then towards the end, kind of like a, a Arya's journey in Game of Thrones where she wants revenge, but by the end she realizes it's not worth it in the end because he's going to have to live what he's live with what he's done and i think that's kind of what the end message of that scene was supposed to be where she sang to him uh, yeah uh-huh and i honestly thought it was going to end there but i was surprised that like he got killed too and i was like well that's cool too um, i agree i i don't know if i would have preferred it if it just ended there because i kind of like the message of her telling him that it may take a while, but she's going to heal. Meanwhile, he's just going to rot from the outside or inside outward. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that I agree with that. But also I get why they, the uh, Billy killed him because when they had that discussion about what do you do with like bad people that can't be fixed? And he's like, you can't fix them. You have to kill them. And then I was like, okay, I guess that's the movie trying to tell me that that this dude, he can't be fixed. He just needs to be killed. Mm. So that too. But yeah, I, I definitely agree. I could have seen it both ways. Yeah. I, Billy doesn't really gain anything from killing him, I guess. Because, uh, yeah. because Charlie was killed by Hawkins and his men. He gets revenge for that, but you no, know, it didn't. It didn't feel like the conclusion to his story because it wasn't his revenge. I guess you could see yes. it as he really starts to care about Claire and knows how much this man hurt her. So this is his way of showing. Yeah. Yeah, but I agree. I felt that his ending kind of like didn't have like a good conclusion to it because yeah, I agree. He didn't like gain anything. And, and I think that's because we knew we didn't know enough about him to understand like what his goal was, you know? Yeah. He wanted to find his aunt and sister. He wanted to find his family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but then remember they found out they were dead. They were dead from the other guy told him. So maybe then after that he like didn't care anymore and had like no no purpose and he was like, I don't care if I die. So I guess okay, I totally like I'm tired, so I totally like forgot about that detail. Very (laughs) poor low energy. It's daylight savings plus we work all day before talking Uh, about this movies. Yeah. (laughs) Um be a short episode we could talk about production i guess no i was was about to segue into that and i'm like oh it's only been like 35 minutes this is going to be a shorty no big deal sometimes bad movies sometimes bad movies bring out more absolutely yeah that's absolutely a pattern with us i think a a movie's good there's not a whole lot to say because we don't want to like i don't know ruin it for other people Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Production, I thought this looked very, very different from the Babadook, even though it did have some of her similar filming 
techniques, like the uh, downward camera angle and lighting. But I like that it had a completely different feel from Babadook. Yeah, I don't want the I same agree. movie. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes it's tough for directors to kind of like, um, like not do that and like all their movies end up being like super similar and it kind of like gets bland after a while but like she did she did so well that like if I didn't know that this was the same lady that directed the Babadook I wouldn't know it it was her that makes sense Um, like had she done had her follow up to Babadook been another modern day somewhat supernatural horror film I don't think it would have done as well but since this was a larger scale historical horror movie thriller, it felt completely different and the same at the same time because both movies deal with the same general theme of loss and grieving and kind of um, coming through that process. Yeah. a lot of music in this movie that stuck out to me not a lot of music um i guess the music would be like when when they're singing the characters yeah but you're right which it works i if there was any music it was atmospheric so it blended into the environment very well anything overbearing wouldn't have a fit in absolutely because they're not they're, they're in the woods. There's no music out in the woods. I know, right? Yeah, there is no music out in the woods. Unless they're making it. So there's that. There is that. And we touched on it. Um the two hour runtime for this was fine. There were times where mm-hmm. I thought it dragged on and maybe maybe a different ending. Because if you end it with her confronting him but not killing him, yeah, that cuts like fifteen minutes from the runtime. Yes, it does. I guess it's just preference if you think that would have been the better ending, or if you really wanted to see Sam Kelfin get it, which you know he deserved it. I agree. I think he did deserve it. Fuck that guy. I was like, yeah, get that motherfucker fucking the girl. Just constantly fucking bitch. It disgusts me. But outside this movie, Sam Kelfin is so hot. What did you think about uh, how the movie looked? It was very beautiful. It was, but it also had kind of a grit to it. Yeah, it was almost like it was sad. Yeah. It's almost so like this sad. is a very sad, melancholy. <laughs> Just trying to talk about anything I can regarding production. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't take a lot of notes just because I started to, but I was very enthralled by the movie. The movie was very, it was very gripping though. And I really, really liked watching this movie. And I think it was a great movie. I would recommend it to really anybody as long as you're prepared for the really deep, dark shit that it brings up very, very in your face, very blatantly. This isn't a horror movie where you'll be scared a lot, but it is a movie that'll just 
kind of drain your emotions. <laughs> yeah, this is not for the faint of heart. I, I got a little teary-eyed myself at certain parts just because it was so much happening. I couldn't help it, oh. you know? Like, the second they showed how much she loved that baby, I was like, oh, baby's gonna die. Gotta get ready for that. Yep. I would say it's, um, if you enjoyed Hereditary, which I, I, Hereditary was okay, you'll like this movie. Same depressing vibe just beats you down throughout. Would I rewatch this movie? Probably not for a while. Yes, this isn't one of those movies that you kind of have on your in your movie like uh like a uh, cabinet or whatever and you're like yeah tonight feels like a good night that i would like to watch the nightingale because <laughs> i'm in a fun yeah. mood you know like no yeah it's not, a, it's not it's really a movie night movie either you know you get your friends together and like hey guys you want to watch the nightingale it has like five scenes of very intense rape <laughs> I'd be like, no, Sam, I sure don't. Yeah, Sam, we're not letting you pick the movie anymore. Right, and then you'd be like, okay, I, I just wanted to just have every option available to everybody, so. You know what horror movie I watched recently that does have a lot of rewatchability? In fact, I want to rewatch it with David sometime soon. Uh, Little Monsters with Lupita in it. I finally watched that. Another movie I should have watched after this one. But nice. hindsight 2020. It is always 2020, my friend. You said it. Good <laughs> God, that movie was so fucking delightful. Another Australian horror movie. This time a horror comedy. Kindergarten yes. teacher trying to keep her students alive during a zombie outbreak. Very charming. Very cute with some good zombie kills in it. I, yes, I, I think that sounds awesome and fun because it's always nice to break up the monotony of the deep dark stuff with a fun horror movie because they can be really yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else did I watch this week? Stealing a note from cult classic horror who I haven't listened to in quite a while. Sorry, guys. I know you're listening right now and you're probably I feel dying bad because I love, I love them and I feel, I feel so bad because I haven't had time to, to do it. Um, we saw Jojo Rabbit over the weekend. How was that? So God. It was just... So I think, because right before the movie, there was another trailer for a Nazi movie coming out, or not about Nazis, but about Nazi Germany and standing up to the Nazis. I'm not surprised that we're getting a lot of these types of movies going into the 2020 election. Yes, that's actually a good uh, observation. Thank you. <laughs> I love Jojo Rabbit. I know it's a little controversial because... People who haven't seen it thinks it, believe it makes light of the Nazi occupation in Germany and everything that they did, but it really doesn't. It's told from the point of view from a 10-year-old child who's been indoctrinated into the Hitler Youth and really believes in this message, 
But as the movie progresses, he starts to realize, hey, this isn't right. And naturally it's going to seem lighthearted because this kid doesn't see anything wrong with how life is going in Germany. But then there's this sudden moment halfway through the movie that punches you right in the gut and reminds you, <laughs> oh yeah, we're not watching just this fun coming of age story. We're watching a movie set in Nazi Germany and the war is coming to an end. So shit's about to get really bad. I highly recommend it to everybody. It's funny when it's funny and it breaks your heart when it wants you to feel sad. Yes, I'll definitely have to um to look for it when it becomes streaming. Yeah, for sure. Because I, I was thinking about like it piqued my interest, but I wasn't sure if like it would be something that I would like or not. So I usually just like go off what you what you say pretty much. Yeah. And I think it doesn't make Nazis seem relatable and cool. In fact, it kind of makes them seem like losers and weirdos. Because in so nice. many, in, in so much media, even like anti-pro-America, anti-Nazi movies, they look really cool. Like, I'm not going to lie, the whole like uh, Nazi uniform, it looks sleek as fuck. Yes. And, <laughs> They always seem so well put together and remember Sam, uh, they were the elite race. They had to look excellent at all times. Oh. <laughs> um, but this movie just kind of makes them look like a joke. Um they were actually <laughs> really like, great oh. subtle hints. Yeah, there were actually like really great subtle hints at um one of the characters who was a who was a Nazi uh, commander, uh, that he was becoming disillusioned by this whole ideal. There was one scene where they were burning books at Hitler Youth Camp, and he was kind of side eyeing the whole thing. And then this really like on the nose scene where it's pretty clear he's gay. So oh, there was a lot of great character development, even for these people you shouldn't like because of their belief. But what it really showed was a lot because uh, the little boy's name is Johannes and Jojo for short. And um, he's called Jojo Rabbit because he ran away from these older kids who wanted him to prove he could kill anything by making him kill a rabbit. But then Hitler, his imaginary friend was like, no, be the rabbit. Rabbits are spry and fast and can hide. And that's how he ends up surviving the last battle before America wins the war is just by hiding nice. during all the explosions. <laughs> good. <laughs> it's a good movie because I think it shows that Hitler didn't come to power because he was like, hey, let's kill the Jews. He came to power because he wanted to bring Germany back to the great world power that it was. So a lot of his followers followed him because of this idea of nationalism and we don't really get into politics on the show, but that's what Trump was doing and how he got into office was by promoting nationalism over globalism. So very Hitler-like tendencies. And this presents that in a way that's, that makes it clear to kids and clear to adults, you know, especially with the gay Nazi commander, he 
followed Hitler because he loved his country. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you also need to call out your leaders when they're doing really, really shitty things. Straight up, dude. That's my soapbox for the day. I fucking love Jojo Rabbit. Noise. I hope nothing about that got taken out of context. We obviously don't support Trump, but I get how he rose to power. Yes, yes, absolutely. Some people love your country. Yeah. Love your country, but love it to the point that you're calling out toxic leaders and getting them out of office. Yes, exactly. Exactly. What to do? Yes. Which is what uh, we should have been doing from the start. Otherwise, we wouldn't have movies like Nightingale that showcase how shitty leaders have always been to lesser people. Oh shit, that sounds bad. To people they uh, deem as lesser. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, something we forgot to touch on, but she brings up um, how she's from Ireland and she hates the English because of that. Like, the English and the Irish have a very sordid past. Yeah. Um, Irish for a long time. Even in America, we're viewed as second-class citizens in a lesser race than true, true, honest British Americans. Yeah, absolutely. They sure were. Also, that scene kind of, uh, I don't know, it rubbed me the wrong way that this white girl is telling this black man how much worse she's at it. Aw, oh, yeah, I know, right? She's like, oh, yeah, uh, you think that, like, you know, I've, yeah, I can't even recall the words they say, but, yeah, she's like, welcome to life. That, uh, that Jonah Hill gif where he's like, eh, cut it out. I was, I was doing that, yeah. like, maybe don't compete with him, Claire. That's I know you've had a shitty life, but he's he's gonna have a pretty shitty rest of his life. Yeah, I know, right? Whatever's left of it. Like she could go back to Ireland and put most of what happened to her in Australia behind her, but you know, if yeah. we if we look fifteen minutes ahead of when the movie ended, he's probably dead. He's probably dead because he was shot fatally. <laughs> There's no way you can survive that unless you're magic. Mm-hmm. He's not magic. I don't know. He could be magic. This movie did have a few elements of magical realism, I felt. I thought so too. And you might be right because he can do, uh, you know, like special ceremonies where he might have magical powers. But I don't want to be insensitive either. Because at one point, Claire was like, I, I don't want you to put your hocus pocus on me. And he like was just like going to be like, I can make you a paste for your breasts because they're leaking milk. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, it's not even a hocus pocus. It's like a medicinal, like, you know, assist for your body. <laughs> just take it. <laughs> the book. <laughs> it's more natural than the paste he made. I think that's about all I have to say about the Nightingale, Jojo Rabbit, and bad politicians. Yeah, I mean, 
we can talk a little bit about the realistic aspects of it if you want, but they're pretty cut and dry because um, we already just we already brought them all up like rape, baby murder, m- murder, racism, you know, all the big ones, all the big ones. It's pretty, it's all the big ones are in this movie. And you know what? Uh, sometimes I feel like it's difficult to be able to do all these things and make it kind of like overbearing, but she did it in a way that it, it just, it simply worked because all these things happened, uh, to create, you know, a goal in mind for the character. It wasn't just rape for the sake of rape, you know, or violence for the sake of violence, really. Um, it all kind of had a larger purpose, uh, in the plot of the film being lost in the woods is a scary thing that we seem to keep coming back back to every time we watch something now just stay on the trail or have a map or you probably can't find them these days but i guess get an aboriginal to is that the politically correct term we were just talking about this for postcard press I think it, it's just native Aboriginal. Yeah. Okay. Sorry if I yeah. accidentally offended anyone. Yeah, I think we got it right. But um, yeah, did you see how happy they were when they found the fucking trail? And they're like, is it the trail? It's like, yes, this takes you to town and this goes the other way. And it's like, wow, just stay on the fucking trail and you'll be all set. Oh, Claire, that was so difficult. I know, Claire. It was like a humongous tree. It was like a road. It wasn't even a trail. It was the road <laughs> that was traveled on by horses and buggies. So yeah. nice. I think they all could have just followed that trail and Charlie would still be alive. I know, right? But no, they had to go as fast as possible. Oh. <sighs> all right, I got you nothing wanna- to say. Yeah. You want to do those end notes? I will with pleasure. All right. Real Horror Show was created by Sam Odie and Stormy Skies and is directed by Sam Odie. Today we learned that... Uh, what did we learn today? If you're a shitty person who rapes and is a racist, you'll, you're going to get a spear thrown directly through your heart. Straight up goes around comes around or whatever comes around goes around um yes so like what you hear you can find real horror show on spotify tune in google play store stitcher and itunes really really like what you hear follow us on twitter at horror show underscore underscore pod or search for real horror show on twitter follow us on facebook at real horror show like our page and share our stuff we also have a website that all of our written reviews and podcasts can be found realhorrorshow.com want to interact with us want to make sure we're real humans and not space vampires comment on our website or email us at realhorrorshowpodcast at gmail.com want to argue with us about something or think you have a really great horror movie review excuse me that you're dying to share with two random strangers from the internet submissions are open for movie reviews Check out the submit page on our website and follow the rubric before sending us anything. If it's not done according to the rubric, it will be disregarded. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, we post written reviews. Uh, sometimes there's one up there still about like McCamey Mam or whatever. And it's a doozy because people are getting fucking, sh- fucking pissed that it, that it exists. 
get mad, whatever. We love horror. And if you're listening, you do too. Please help us keep our project going by visiting our support page on our website where you can make a one-time donation via PayPal. We also have an Amazon wish list. If you feel like buying us something tangible will help convey your love more than a monetary donation would. Also, buy us a coffee is a button you can click that will pay us the amount you would need to buy a coffee. A little bit goes a long way. Submissions are open for our yearly anthology called The October Monologues. Check out the submission guidelines on our website and send us your creepy shit. Any other pertinent news? No, I don't think so. Anyway, our outro song is called Creepy Doll by Jonathan Colton. And thank you, fuck off, and have a swell evening. Bye. Bye. I wasn't ready. I told you to read the end notes, but I didn't get ready to end the recording.